Okay, so take the opportunity to begin the morning. Settling to the posture of meditation. And posture of meditation is not just, <coughs> say, a sitting physical posture, but also a posture of uh, attitude, uh, bringing up an attitude of uh, interest, uh, of uh, attention, uh, and reflection. Uh, being able to reflect, investigate on um, our experience. And uh, <coughs> the, uh, uh, the topic Today is the uh, of the day long. Is uh, will it ever go away? Uh, emotions <laughs> and uh, so often people um, uh, request when uh, they're going to be uh, giving a teaching or giving uh, a talk or something. Know what topic? Uh, uh, you know what's going to be the topic of the talk, and uh, yet we don't actually do it that way. I have no idea. <laughs> 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 and uh, but then well, we've got to put something on there. We've got to make a. <laughs> make a, a poster, really put something in the poster. <laughs> so, uh, okay, well, give this one a give this one a shot, and I, I, you know, I may talk about this, and I may not. But I think it is interesting, and especially in, in terms of meditation, you know, as we begin the day. Because uh, you, you, you sit in a like cross-legged posture, or sit in a chair, or however, whatever posture for meditation, and you know, we want to uh, sit quietly, uh, and then you know, inevitably, different uh, memories or feelings or uh, emotions. Uh, come up into the into the mind, and, <coughs> and you know they've got a real hook. Uh, they hook us. They, they, they grab our attention, and uh, and then there is that feeling. Oh, I just want to sit quietly, and then you know, the mind starts mapping on it. The emotional pull starts to it's clouding somehow, uh, you know, whether it's positive or weird, you know, or whether it's negative, but then all of a sudden it's, it, it's looms. And, and I think, well, <coughs> and that, you know, I just want it to go away. I want to be able to do what I want to. And, uh, but picking up the, um, say the meditation is um, the 
taking a bit different perspective in that sense of, say, like paying attention to the breath, um, and paying attention to the body, the physical posture, uh, and you know, the, it might be comfortable, it might not be comfortable, um, in terms of physically, there might be some discomfort. Um, but it's the sort of oh, just what's it actually feel like? What's the posture feel like? What's the rhythm of the breath feel like? Tuning into the uh, into the uh, the breath and so much of the really the, the the meditation or the training uh, is learning how to pay attention to things that aren't uh, personal, in the sense of, you know, really our body is not so personal. Uh, the, uh, we're, we're, most people, you know, a couple arms, a couple legs, the head. We tend to create the personal stories around it, um, but uh, that's uh, those are those are stories. Uh, human body is pretty much a human body, uh, and. Uh, that's a, a member of, uh, there's a very uh, well-respected and famous teacher uh, who I uh, who I knew, he's passed away now. Um, a very skilled teacher and uh, in Thai, his time and uh, um, he had his own his talks would go up on radio and television all the time and um, People would come with thousands to listen to him. Um, very warm, very uh, extremely good person. But he would always begin his his talks in uh, sort of, uh, addressing everybody uh, as uh, you know, welcoming welcoming them and then. Uh, addressing everybody as friends and relatives and birth, age, and sickness and death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really, you know, that's, that's, that's sort of beyond the personal. Right? So, that's, uh, we, we share this, this call uh, feature. Uh, and uh, say meditation, uh, sitting in our bodies, uh, and we're breathing, uh, and there's uh, there can be a, a deep breath, a shallow breath, long breath, short breath, uh, a soft breath, a bit more pronounced breath. Um, but you know there. In the end, it just breaths. It's not a, not a big personal thing. Right. So that, uh, but you know, what happens, of course, when we sit, close our 
Similarly, of course, with the, the different uh, experiences internally uh, of our uh, moods and impressions and uh, fears and worries and uh, our obsessions and uh, things that were our fantasies, I think we really, we really love, we really uh, feel that we can be without, be without. Um, they're, you know, they're just as fleeting on a bigger scale. And when we step back and look at that bigger scale, you know, we're just, uh, they're more fleeting. So that, 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 uh, that impression in the mind of, uh, sometimes that lament, you know, will it ever go away? Will I ever be peaceful? <laughs> Will I ever be able to keep my 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 attention on the breath? Uh, you know, the, so much of that is is the uh, uh, it comes from our our our, our judging, uh, evaluating, assessing giving ourselves points, comparing ourselves to others, um, and um, to, to recognize that. It isn't that, because you know, the impulse is, you, you see that tendency, and um, you know, we want to, we don't want it to be there. It's a little bit, Look at our lines and just, just wouldn't you just shut up? But it's not such a nice way to deal with your own mind. And it actually doesn't work either. So. <laughs> but, uh, but using. 
tend to uh, the things that are actually quite calm and quite ordinary, attending to the sensation uh, of the of the posture and adjusting it. And not paying attention, I don't kind of balance. Am I even and and Sometimes it's it's helpful to, uh, it's necessary to really um, um, look closely at how we're how we're holding our our body, um, trying um, and paying attention to balance, because uh, it is uh, uh, it's a helpful uh, way of. of Keeping a certain alertness, um, and the, uh, <coughs> there's this. You know, I mean, of course, you can be too tight, too straight, too rigid, uh, and that's not helpful. Um, but getting a nice feeling of balance. Um, and that's, I mean, it's interesting with, uh, you see, you, you come into a shrine room and there's, you know, if you're in a Buddhist meditation center, then there's going to be a Buddha image. And, uh, um, I've never sort of come into a hall or a shrine in any Buddhist setting Buddha image uh, kind of slumped over. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make them like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so there's a certain sort of uprightness to the posture. And, uh, but also it can't be too tight. There has to be a, a relaxed quality uh, to the posture. I remember the very first time that uh, Ajahn Sumedho came back to Thailand after being in England for uh, well, five years. He went to England to establish the monasteries in England. And, uh, and Ajahn Chah actually told him, stay here for five years, don't come back, we go for five years. Settled in, and five years was up to come back for a visit. And uh, one of the lay supporters in England uh, had made a sculpture uh, of a Buddha uh, to for Ajahn Sumedha to take and offer to to uh, to Ajahn Chah. And. Uh, uh, in the Thai language, uh, anybody who's a, a Westerner, uh, non-Thai, non-Asian, is a foreign. Uh, so then, this Buddha image was offered to Ajahn Chah, and and uh, and uh, put it on a seat, a uh, little table there. And Talking back and forth. And I can try every once in a while and kind of look over and 
<laughs> see this good image and uh, and he said yeah, yeah this little smile <laughs> and finally he did, couldn't resist it and he said that's really a Faram Buddha look how tense he is So there's a, 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 and, a, and how we hold a posture uh, is uh, physically, but also how we hold that internal posture, because we need that sense of a balance uh, of mm-hmm. meditation uh, is, it, it takes an effort, um, it takes some, um, uh, yeah, some determination. But also we have to learn how to relax and enjoy. So that those are, you know, there's sometimes they're competing uh, energies and, and in our mind. We have to tune in uh, really with each in-breath and each out-breath uh, to attend to, you know, taking attention and Moving it around the body a bit. Don't don't make it too tight. Don't try to force attention on like picking one little sensation at the tip of the nose and holding on to that and making that your your meditation object. Uh, you you can use a particular point as a focal point, but then allow attention to surround it and to settle it and to kind of hold um, the meditation so that as we adjust our posture physically, adjust the posture mentally, adjust the energy that that we're attending with, then there'll be a, 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 a where learning takes place. And this is um, the meditation is a is a part of a, 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 say a, a spectrum of practice. Uh, what Buddha gives as a way of leading out of suffering is a path practice. Uh, meditation is a part of it, part of that path. So that that taking the the breath, taking the posture, um, attending to the sensation, and as it as it becomes more interesting, or that we're more comfortable with the sensation of the breath, or the rhythm of the breath. Uh, and where it's got a good context around it, there will be a natural setting. There will be a natural setting that will take place. You don't have to force it too much. Uh, you can't just leave it up to uh, uh, 
that the one puts the attention in, uh, takes an interest, uh, and help to kind of guide the, <coughs> the mind and to sustain that attention. And as we do that, you'll find that the, the breath will start to stand out a bit more clearly. And the different moods and feelings and impressions can drop away. So that uh, we take this period of time to uh, pay attention, uh, take an interest in the, in the posture, take an interest in the breath, take an interest in the, in the moods and the, and the mental states. Uh, that come in and come out uh, of the mind in the same way that the, the breath comes in and out of the body. And then say, opportunity to learn, opportunity to, to practice and train. Uh, and give yourself the opportunity to enjoy it as well. You can be sick. Uh, 
And that's actually, a, again, a beautiful way of setting up a relationship. Um, how, uh, say, the monastic uh, form is set up so that it is in, um, in relationship and, and in an interdependence with the, with the lay community. Um, both on the material level, as, as, uh, as Bruce was, was explaining, um, but also even in the, uh, uh, just on that level of teaching, so that uh, uh, generally uh, don't have to worry about uh, well, sort of uh, getting up on their soapbox and, and uh, <laughs> sort of preaching to you. We're supposed to be uh, supposed to be invited. To teach and the uh, 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 the, the the phrases that uh, <coughs> uh, uh, were used there uh, scriptural language and it's a uh, it's actually a verse uh, from the scriptures that uh, uh, recalls the uh, occasion. After the Buddha's enlightenment, uh, when the Buddha is uh, um, fully awakened and uh, he starts to uh, think, okay, what do I do with this? And uh, I think, oh, I don't know. <laughs> 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 you know. Beings are pretty mired in their in their ignorance and delusion. I think. Uh, I don't think I'll teach. I don't think I can. I don't think I can teach. Um, and uh, and then there's the in the story. Then uh, a Brahma god sees the there's that, uh, that kind of train of thought of the of the Buddha and, and uh, comes and says, there are beings with little dust in their eyes. Please teach for the benefit of, of, of others. And that was when the Buddha formulates his, his uh, intention to, uh, to, uh, to teach, to pass on what he's, what he's learned. Yeah. So that, uh, that's a beautiful uh, way of introducing uh, the, uh, uh, the, the spirit behind the, uh, a teaching uh, of Dhamma. And also another aspect of to the teaching and I'll do that and I'll, I'll, before I uh, uh, begin the formal teaching I'll, I'll uh, do a recitation of the uh, homage uh, to the Buddha Namatasa Bhagavato Arahantras and Rasa Buddhasa and then it's in Bhutan Dhammasana Sankansana which is homage I, I, I offer my respects to Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So that it's a, uh, again, not a personal thing. Uh, just trying to uh, convey uh, the, uh, uh, out of respect to the, uh, to the, the Buddha, the teaching, the Sangha, uh, something that might be abused. Namo tassa bhagavato arahat
perspective of way of hold it, holding it. And that, that sense of, of uh, giving the opportunity for something to be uncertain, to be the, the unsure. Uh, because there is a, uh, when there is a, uh, you know, in the human mind, human condition, there's always, there is a, uh, that feeling of, you know, that will it ever go away? It's just, it's, it is absolutely locked in. This is a sure thing. Uh, it's just going to be like this forever. And, uh, uh, to, uh, and that's when it's unpleasant. Of course, when it's, when it is, uh, kind of something that we want or desire, then to, we were hoping that it's going to be <laughs> more stable and more certain. And, uh, but to be able to um, have that constant recollection of the friend, oh, yeah, this, is, this is uncertain, this is unsure. And the, uh, that, that quality of unsure express it it's the kind of the the uh, it's like a, char- a characteristic or a defined feature of a noble one one who's really understood understood truth yeah, <coughs> yeah. oh yeah that's, this is this is this is unsure <coughs> and it's uh, Characteristic of the of the Buddhist teaching. <coughs> so being able to uh, allow that perspective and to, to make it conscious. And you know, there's different ways of, of doing that. Obviously, the, just paying attention. To something really close to hand, like the breath. So there's that that constant rhythm, the in and out, the arising and ceasing of the breath. That it keeps reminding you of the of the <coughs> the uncertainty of it. And particularly as you start to uh, tune in and settle more, then you realize well, actually, you know, even one in breath and one out breath. Uh, moment to moment are really not the same either so there's, a, there's a modulation there's a, there's a fluctuation uh, there's differences in, in, in tone of, the, of how we experience um, something that we think is so um, steady or certain and uh, and it's, it isn't as if it's a bad, it's a bad thing it's just it's the way it is and so, yeah. That uh, of being able to okay, that's the way it is, uh, <coughs> and allowing it to be like that, and um, uh, in terms of you can acknowledge it and be knowledgeable of it, and that uh, that gives a lot of space uh, in in the mind. Um, also, in terms of especially if we start investigating, <coughs> you know, different. Thought patterns or emotions or feelings, um, um, 
you know, whenever we experience a, 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 an emotion, uh, and there's always some kind of uh, uh, commentary going on with it, some kind of thought process, uh, and, and, um, we're, we're articulating in some way, shape, or form, which doesn't even have to be, um, you know, that kind of coherent. So you can just. <laughs> and it's still an articulation <laughs> but they, they uh, uh, the, uh, and then you know and then the mind goes into a certain story of you know why did they say that and then you sort of, you know, especially if you're a practitioner you say oh you know this <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, there's a it's got this bit of a sound uh, <coughs> and furthermore <laughs> 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 and, uh, <coughs> but it's uh, but to pay attention and, you know, to make it conscious of when there are those sort of because uh, any emotion any feeling that isn't uh, stable, consistent, continuous. There's always little gaps there uh, where, you know, either through conscious attention, uh, <coughs> where one brings attention to the, uh, to the, uh, to the body, to the, to the feeling, and, and it settles. There's a little, there's a little break there. <coughs> and then there'll be another surge, uh, or just through uh, where your mind is has to. You know, there's some you, you can't go on a constant rant forever. You have to at least catch your breath. <laughs> and, uh, <coughs> there is there's a bit of a break there, and to make that. Conscious, and I like to expand that. Mm. Um, allow, get some space around. Mm. Breathe into that, and allow that that space to to expand a bit. And that's a place of stillness in the midst of the of the uh, the react reactivity of the mind, the reactivity of our emotions, uh, and. <coughs> And then we, that, 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 that starts to uh, bracket and define those feelings a bit more. And, and there's an opportunity to, okay, uh, that kind of space starts to actually become more interesting than the emotion, <coughs> than, the, than the reaction. Okay. So that, that uh, that's a that's an interesting way of of, of working with it, training with them, because um, the tendency you know is to either to either to push it away, um, which from the say the Buddha's analysis of 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 things that there's been what's called uh, the desire for non-becoming, which is a source of dukkha. Uh, it's one of the ways, the classical desires that the Buddha points to, of the desire for 
sensual, you know, sensual pleasure, uh, sensual gratification, desire for being, becoming, and desire for non-being, non-becoming, not wanting, pushing your way. So that's a, that's a way that the mind works. Okay, there's emotion or feeling, push it away. Uh, or one tries to prop up a, a particular feeling. Um, just like that, where you, you have maybe some ill will or aversion uh, to something like, oh, I should be, you know, get my, I should get my mental practice going. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, and out of, uh, you know, a good intention, uh, uh, and a, uh, <coughs> but there's a certain, and you say idealism or or, or uh, uh, expectation. Uh, yeah, I'm supposed to be a Buddhist meditator. I should have some kind of thoughts, and so you can try to make those kind of thoughts uh, give it more steady and permanent. So you keep focusing on that, and there's suffering in that as well. Uh, when it's when, it, when it's just you're pushing, trying to. Uh, Trying to prop up something uh, that doesn't quite have a uh, hasn't really got taken root yet, um, which doesn't mean you don't don't do that. It doesn't mean you don't try to uh, relinquish or, or or get rid of things. But it's it's making it conscious so that it's uh, that is not <coughs> the uh, uh, the the act of either trying to make something to come into being or the, uh, the relinquishing, the letting go of, the putting away, putting down of things uh, isn't, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of tightness around it, it's sort of like recognizing well, let's try to relinquish that, how can we do that? How can we let go of that? You know, say, oh, that's painful. You know, uh, I can put that down. And then, of course, you know, there was a feeling of, can I put that down? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, but then you're working with it, uh, and and see what what happens. In the same way with, <coughs> I'll say like, like that, the, the example of okay, generating loving kindness in a time when you're, you're kind of there's some aversion in your will happening and, and that's a classical instruction uh, that the Buddha gives as a as a way of allaying and overcoming ill will and uh, um, and I used to get really frustrated with this as a, as a young man because you say okay I'm supposed to be doing this <laughs> I really don't want to <laughs> 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 and that uh, 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 and, then, and then the feeling of, of, you know, okay, I'm supposed to do it, and I'm not doing it. I'm a failure because I can't do it. And, and uh, you just know, create so many problems. And uh, but it's more like, okay, what? Huh. Yeah, ill will, aversion, it really doesn't feel good. Uh, yeah, loving kindness, yeah, that's got a lot more potential. And then and then exploring, experimenting. Lifting it up, working with it. How does it work? How do I, 
Um, so that taking an interest in, uh, and that's where uh, there, that's where one learns the skills of of, of, of cultivation. In that sense, okay, yeah, well, yeah, this even this good feeling or a good intention, yeah, well, that's impermanent also, but uh, it's, got, yeah, it's got a lot more potential than than, than, than the other. Uh, so then that's uh, okay, working with that and developing it and reflecting, investigating uh, what works, what doesn't work. How how do how do I fail with this? How do I <coughs> how do I uh, how do I take an interest? Uh, how do I torture myself with trying to <laughs> trying to make myself be something uh, that I really don't feel? Uh, so you know those are those are where we're learning this process because uh, that's the uh, especially when we, we, we reflect on the, the uh, say the, the, the purpose of the teachings in terms of <coughs> being for the, the, the overcoming of, of, of suffering understanding suffering and relinquishing suffering um, then we start seeing that you know, there's all these different ways that Know, discontent, dissatisfaction, dis-ease uh, settle into the mind and we can work with it and we can uh, learn about and understand it and when we're able to you know, to, to relinquish that dis-ease there's a real ease that, that does come into the, into the mind and uh, that's a uh, you know, it's just a real interesting uh, Qualities to to, uh, to to investigate and pursue. Now, as we um, one of the great tools or goals of of the Buddha's teaching is is say, wisdom, discernment, uh, investigation. Uh, there's results from the investigation. So that anyway, Particularly with uh, that sense of um, emotion and, and uh, how compelling it can be and how sticky it can be, um, it is really helpful to have that ability to, to step back and, and be able to investigate. And that's where, so in the in the Buddhist teaching and Instructions on uh, mindfulness of breathing. Um, the Buddha gives the mindfulness of breathing as a complete path of practice. Um, in in the instructions that he gives, he lays it out. It's a sixteen stages of sixteen steps of mindfulness of breathing, and and there. Clustered together in, in uh, four sets of four uh, steps uh, that are follow the uh, four foundations of mindfulness. So in the aspects of the body, of feeling, of mind, and of uh, mental phenomena. And particularly that aspect of feeling. Uh, is a, a within that, that, that instructions 
uh, of the uh, of healing is the uh, is a really helpful tool for working with. Okay, when we think of feeling, okay, the, the Buddha always okay. There's three feelings: pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So it's not sort of feeling in terms of the content of emotion, but more like the tone of the um, of, of, of the experience uh, on a feeling level. So something yeah, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Mm-hmm. To be able to to uh, take those those instructions, one of the instructions of the um, the Buddha gives. So say, as one breathes in, uh, when experiencing what the Buddha calls jitta um, sankara, mental formation, um, or mental constructor, mental conditioning. There's different that word sankara. So it's, it's, it's very it's got lots of nuances to it, but it's a <coughs> uh, it's how it's built uh, so that. It Constructor, the conditioner, the, the form for formation of the mind. Jitta, jitta is mind. Jitta sankara is mind. So that experiencing the mental conditioner, mind conditioner. And uh, the Buddha always points to, and that's why it's in the section, feeling is one. But the other is is perception. And perception is is the um, the aspect of the mind that uh, relies on memory uh, and association, uh, so that we uh, have uh, you know, our, our memories, associations, what we associate with an experience, and, and of course it's tied into memory. But then it also has a uh, the aspect of giving. Importance in some way. There's a certain <coughs> uh, importance that is given, so that again, one sees a a, uh, <coughs> a particular shape. Because you know, you know, in reality, in terms of perception, you know, what we see is color and shape, uh, and then we we see a, a certain uh, uh, you know, kind of color and shape. You know, say, I look there. And okay, and, and, and it's perception that has a memory and, and say, oh, that's, okay, that's Dan, right. And then you sort of, and then there's the memories, okay, the association. You spent the last couple of days with Dan, and had these nice uh, interactions, and then, and then talking with Dan, and he reminded me that he died to retreat me, and so on. So there's going to be associations of you know, happy, pleasant, positive uh, uh, associations, memory, perception. So the perceptions you've got, uh, you know, there'll be somebody that you meet uh, in different perceptions, different memories. You know, it could be unpleasant, it could be. Um, Complicated and tortured, and you know, and 
throws out that, that it's through that memory and perception that, that associations that it throws out these the feeling tones and then the emotions get built on that so that that uh, but recognizing that these are, are they're built they're mental conditions they're mental formations and they're, they're formed they're not they don't come all in one piece uh, they don't come fully formed. Uh, they're, they're sort of built in layers. But of course it happens so quickly uh, that we don't recognize it. And then of course we tend to get uh, hooked by it or pulled along by it, react to it uh, uh, you know, very, very quickly. So that uh, being able to pick that up as a... As a um, as a meditative investigation, uh, as I breathe in, experiencing the the, the, sankara, the mental condition, and then looking more carefully, what is the the feeling? What is the perception? And that's a, and just by making that effort to tease it apart a bit. It already starts to create a lot of hot space. And it starts to, it doesn't have the same hook uh, that that uh, that we, we normally associate with. And saying, as I breathe, as I breathe out, experiencing the the, the, uh, the mental condition, mind condition, and. And even by picking it up in that way, I say, well, this is, this is a mind conditioner. Uh, it's not a, a permanent feeling. It's not a permanent perception. Um, these aren't uh, absolutely, they're not fixed in stone. Um, and they're, like, it's really interesting sometimes. You remember picking up a, um, a memory uh, like reminding oneself of certain occasions when you've uh, met somebody, and you know you form impressions really quickly uh, of a person when you first, because your mind sort of scrambling. Okay, what do I do with this person? What do I do with this situation? What do I do with this person? And <coughs> you meet somebody, and you know it's like your mind is. A Flipping through the, the signals, trying to say, "What am I? How, what am I going to do with this?" And and, uh, uh, and then it, it forms an impression, and it could be, you know, and I'm sure that you know it's the same for all of us. Where you know we meet somebody, and and the first impression is, you know, I guess it depends on your personality type. And, and yeah, it could be yeah, the first impression. Aversion, <laughs> or you know, kind of suspicion, you know, fear, you know, and a little attraction, and something. But it, it's a, uh, you know, we form an impression uh, because that's you know we do have to work on, we have to work on some kind of the information, um, but we tend to to take that and then hold to it. And then gather the evidence to support that. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that to be able to recognize, no, there's a, 
mental conditioners that are going on. And, you know, and so often you, need, you meet somebody and uh, you might feel that you're really put off by them. And then once you get to know them, you think, So that, you know, rather than having to go through the whole process of, of, of all the misperceptions, uh, just opening up that impermanence and uncertainty of the mental conditioning process. It gives a lot, again, a, a lot more space, a lot more opportunities for making skillful choices. And that's what, the, the, you know, there's less suffering in making skillful choices. <laughs> And there are having to, to rectify the unskillful ones that, that we make. That, 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 that learning process. Yeah. And similar, that part of the, in, in terms of the, the instructions that the Buddha gives in mindfulness and breathing. As I breathe in, calming, calming the mental the mind condition. Yeah. As I breathe out, calming the mind condition. So it's uh, experiencing, knowing, and then calming. It does not come from mind condition or mental condition. That conditioning process. Perception, feeling. And uh, well, you know, it's we, we learn from it, we understand it, we gain, we gain skill in that. And that's what, uh, I think there's a, um, Ajahn Jeff um, uh, from Black Meta. Of course, he's got lots and lots of books and, and he's done a lot of translation, a lot of teaching. And, uh, and he comes up with some really interesting uh, uh, translations you know, of, of the Pali words, the scriptural words. And, uh, and you know, some might have a good feeling for him. And particularly, they, they, uh, you know, I, I really like his translation of what is normally uh, translated as wisdom. It's always banya in, in, uh, in the scriptural language. It's been translated as wisdom, like from like from the early eight, you know, mid 1800s when he started translating Buddhist texts into English, and. He translates it as discernment. And I think it's a much better translation. Uh, the, the the word wisdom has a um, it's sort of like a has a fixed quality to it, and it's something that's somehow solid and immovable, or something that. Uh, and whereas discernment, uh, there's an active engagement. And that's really important because from a Buddhist perspective, uh, the, the whole <coughs> aspect of, uh, and even, say, embedded in the language, the word panya, uh, uh, I mean, it's a gerund. Right? So, like, it's a, a noun made from a verb. And, mm-hmm. and so that, that's why I think Jeff said it there. But a wisdom, is a noun, so it's, it's, it ends up being quite sort of solid and fixed. 
Uh, it, it misses that dynamic quality, the verb part of it, the active engagement. So the discernment is, is really important to recognize that, yeah, this, the, the, the Buddha's teachings, we have to be actively engaged with them. We have to be actively paying attention and, and assessing, uh, evaluating, um, not so much in an in a, a obsessive way, but in the sense of uh, the nature of reality is that it is uncertain. Um, and you can't come at it from a fixed position. As, you, as soon as you come at it from a fixed position, uh, uh, you end up uh, you know, getting entangled or, or caught in some way, then you end up suffering. So that the learning how to come from a place of understanding uh, that, that, that uncertain nature of the external experience, the uncertain nature of the internal experience. And, and that actually doesn't, because uh, so often we, you know, we want things to be certain because we think we'll have safety in that way. Uh, safety, security, comfort, ease, we get it all certain. And you know, we make ourselves more miserable. And that, but that, 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 that acknowledgement and, and uh, understanding of the uncertain nature uh, and, and approaching it with discernment and, and, uh, and, and mindfulness. And we say, well, that's, yeah, now we're, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> that's how we, we give ourselves tools. Uh, to free the heart from its <coughs> from its suffering. So I'll offer that for reflection as well. Andamayam namakitaya sadhukaram dadama se Uh, 
it's a, it's a stru- there's a structure to it so that taking a, uh, walking a bit slower than, than normal um, that's in general uh, just so that there is a physical slowing down and helps the mind to, uh, to settle a bit more because <coughs> oftentimes if we do something in our normal way then our minds will do what it normally does uh, uh, so that by um, taking a, a point uh, like having a walking meditation path um, somewhere where it's between two points uh, and uh, setting the mind uh, usually clasping the hands in front uh, or behind the table sort of like a, uh, there's a containing of the body as much as you're walking arms swinging the arms and beyond here <laughs> uh, keeping the eyes downcast and uh, in front of one about, about, about six, feet, six feet so they're sort of down and you're kind of you've got a peripheral sense of what's what's happening around you but you're, there's, a, there's a composure uh, that you're creating uh, with your physical posture of walking and paying attention to the sensation in, 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 in the soles of the feet touching of the, of the earth and uh, paying attention to the lifting of the foot moving it setting it down <laughs> setting it down there's a rhythm of, of walking, there's a sensation of touch. And one of the beautiful things of using the, the walking meditation, using the sensation of touch as your feet are touching the ground, that it's about as far away from my head as you can get. That's usually. You know, give yourself a break. <laughs> come down into the body. Come down into that sense of, of touch, you know, that rhythm, and uh, I use that as the as the focal point for uh, for the uh, for the meditation process. Uh, the mind will um, yeah, inevitably wanders, just bringing the attention back and trying to sustain that attention. When you come to the end of the path. It's always helpful to, to actually fully stop, turn around, and just collect oneself first, recollect. Okay, am I here? Am I resting? Am I on the path? Uh, and start again. Um, just one more thing about walking. Um, recently, um, I've some comments from some of our tenants um, who can be quite irritated um, at uh, us assuming that the primary purpose of the parking lot is for us to do walking meditation instead of to park cars. So if you're out there, please remember that that actually I heard a very interesting term yesterday from Danny uh, said that Buddhist jihad. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not really out there to take our work, but <laughs> help everyone else take on our practice. So if you're out there and there are people who are driving to the parking lot, please just get out of the way. <laughs> if you want to come into a parking place where you happen to be you're doing your turnaround, just get out of the way. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
finished um, receiving your offerings and uh, don't put the food in the bowl. Um, offer a blessing and the, uh, the blessing is in the traditional scriptural language uh, but uh, uh, what it uh, uh, does is uh, give a uh, acknowledgement of the uh, the generosity uh, that has been displayed and uh, uh, a, a recollection that the um, say our actions uh, have results and good actions um, uh, are bring good, re- good results and uh, a set a kind of a wish or an intention that through your uh, the, the fruits of your good actions may it be result in uh, long life happiness uh, well-being strength and those are uh, uh, the uh, uh, that's the, the kind of the gist of the of the of the blessing <coughs> it's also a uh, the image that uh, that the Buddha uses <coughs> is picking up on uh, the the image of water uh, flowing from uh, a, a, like a small vessel into a larger vessel, and uh, uh, recognizing that say the nature of water is to flow. So that as it uh, in the same way that uh, say water is going to flow from a small vessel into a larger vessel, may they um, say that the fruits of your good actions flow from you know, into your life. And it's a, uh, it's a lovely, uh, it's a lovely image, because it's similar to, for those people who were here last night, uh, talking about the, uh, the natural nature of, say, like, uh, once one establishes virtue and integrity, uh, it's a cause and condition for the arising of delight. And these these causal processes. So in the same, it's the same. That there's you don't need to make, you know, say, how can I make this water flow from this small vessel into this big vessel? It happens when you pour it. It's just is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so that the, in the same way that those uh, the, the doing uh, you know, acts of generosity, of kindness, of goodness. Uh, they have they have beneficial and, and uh, fruitful results. So delight in your goodness and, uh, and offer a blessing. เจตังมาติตังทุ่งหันคิปเมวสมิจตุสเปปรินดุสังกปาจันโทปนราสยันธานานิโชธิรสยัทธาสปิติโอวิวาจันโตสาปารโรโกวินาสตุมาเทปว
thought I'd open it up to uh, uh, questions and answers and uh, see if people have any any questions uh, and uh, uh, you know, sort of a, a good way to engage the uh, letter meal settle. <coughs> yeah. How do you work with um, so this is slide of Buddha at the end, the title of your the title of the talk Yes. <coughs> How does that work with regards dreams and sleep? When you're asleep, uh-huh. the person has had bad dreams for a while. Uh-huh. During the daytime you can sit and you can see these things and they seem to be you can be curious about them, they can arise, they can pass away, and then you go to sleep, and then they become quite real. Right, right, right. And then right. you wake up, and it takes a while to settle everything down again. Yes, yes. Well, it's actually an interesting question. Never thought of it. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's, uh, it's, I think it's really interesting, because the, uh, the whole realm of, of dreaming is... is uh, uh, it is... Uh, uh, it's important to pay attention to dreams. <coughs> Oftentimes, with because uh, <coughs> that uh, uh, sort of like our uh, you know m- many of the things that are sort of um, impinging on emotionally impinging on the mind, um, you know, will tend to display themselves in our in our dreams, and uh, <coughs> so that it's it's actually helpful to. To be attentive, but you know, I think with uh, and this is you know, just talking through my head here. Uh, but uh, the you know, I think really trying to bring them to mind, not in the sense of trying to analyze every little bit, uh, but um, trying to get a sense of what's, what what was that about. So and then holding it as a question. And what is that about? What's the, what's the you know what's the fear? What's the worry? What's the what's the concern in this? What's it pointing to? <coughs> and because uh, sometimes we can be um, you know somewhat dismissive of, of dreams and say oh it's just a dream, um, but it is uh, uh, you know has a content and potency uh, in the mind. <coughs> And uh, I spend a lot of time in Thailand, and you know, dreams are, are are quite important to people. I mean, you know, people will come to the monastery, and they'll be upset. They say, "I had a terrible dream last night." And I want to have some kind of uh, well, how do I work with that? And, you know, what's it mean? And oftentimes, dreams. Are <laughs> I have no idea what it means. You know, we don't you know, oftentimes know what our own dreams mean. Uh, but it doesn't. That's not so important as to what's behind it. What's the emotion behind it? Uh, so that we become a bit more attentive and alert to the, those kind of, of, of pushes uh, from from kind of uh, from deeper in the mind. Uh, and uh, there's an interesting. Uh, uh, 
occasion where uh, one of the monks, uh, one of the Western monks, uh, this is years ago, and, and uh, was kind of dissatisfied with the existing uh, a biography of Ajahn Chah. Uh, it was quite, uh, <coughs> uh, quite kind of erratic and inconsistent, and not very clear. Um, uh, not very chronologically ordered, and, and, uh, and the monk started uh, one sort of doing some of the translation of the of the old biography that was in Thai, <coughs> and then started to ask a few questions uh, about Ajahn Chatra, uh, with uh, with Ajahn Chatra, trying to clarify it, and then he he uh, and one of the, the questions he had was. You know, when was it that you felt, because there's many different experiences in your life that seem to point to uh, a certainty of your attainment, uh, uh, a clear uh, recognition of, of real progress on the path, no slipping back. And, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of uncertain, as, you know, what, which, which, uh, occasion in your life it was. Could you clarify that for me? Then Ajahn Chah started talking about these <coughs> three dreams that he had, which for the Western monk was was uh, just sort of totally out in left field. And, and I, was, I said, you know, no, no, no. What really happened? <laughs> 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 what real event was it? And I said, and I said, no, this was this was in yeah, a real strong sense, and it was so it was the kind of the the, the dream world mm. sort of speaking through, or the the, the emotion or the, the whatever, uh, and uh, it was in the dream that was coming out. So then, you know, that's in a, a very positive sense. <coughs> you know, on a, you know, there can be uh, those negative dreams, and I think that's where. Just picking up on the, the say the emotion of it and saying, oh, well, um, inevitably the, the uh, um, like a, a, a one of the, the qualities that sometimes is in meditation is not really talked about in in the West. Um, uh, and and it plays quite a you know a fairly large role in in uh, um, certainly in a traditional uh, Buddhist culture and their recollections like actually consciously recollecting certain things and uh, in the uh, uh, I mean you see it in the Visuddhimagga which is the uh, kind of the classic text the commentarial text of of uh, the path, no, it literally means the, the path of purification, and it uh, points to uh, um, 40 different meditation techniques. Uh, Ten of them are recollections, so uh, recollecting the Buddha, recollecting the Dhamma, recollecting the Sangha, recollecting uh, generosity. Good things that one's done. Recollecting, uh, recollecting uh, <coughs> the uh, uh, virtue, integrity that one's lived. Remind oneself 
recollecting that the, uh, you know that, that there's other realms other than just this material realm that we live in. Um, so that these conscious recollections bring up loving kindness. Uh, so that these we're planting the we're planting the seeds of of our but not just our conscious life, but our, but our, our unconscious life. We're changing. Uh, so we're bringing up these positive images, associations, perceptions, memories, uh, so that we're seeding. And it's not a, um, you know, it's not just a distraction. Or, um, it's a, it's an important. Uh, it plays an important role. Uh, in our in our in our training uh, of the mind, it's not just you know, paying attention to one in breath and one out breath, not letting anything else in. It's how do we seed the mind? How do we nurture the mind? And so the, those those positive uh, qualities and and positive perceptions are, are really important. in the sense of because uh, <coughs> it isn't necessarily um, and you say there isn't a, an inherent um, uh, I mean there, I think in our culture there tends to be a, 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 a kind of a, almost a poetic uh, cultural uh, perception of, of uh, there's an inherent spiritual quality of coming back to the innocence of the child, and uh, you know sometimes ch- you know children are quite nice. But but there isn't necessarily imbued with spiritual virtue. <laughs> but it, but there is a, but you know, oftentimes they're not as complicated and rigidly programmed. So that uh, I think paying, being able to, so rather than it being like an an, an open, um, like an open awareness to the of the universe, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it, there's the, the, the mindfulness that we're cultivating is a, 
uh, is also a, a an application of discernment, not in a, a negative way, but a discernment in recognizing uh, that that there's yeah there is a um, you know, there's a problem to uh, a preconceived rigidity, um, and and there's a there's a need to. But exercising discernment so we can uh, make skillful choices uh, toward that which is uh, more beneficial, more uh, useful, more uh, uh, of conducive to our own well-being and the well-being of others. Uh, and that's when the Buddha talks of the. Um, you know, how do we know that our practice is, say, progressing or getting stuck, or or, or, or progressing or not progressing? And and how do we keep on the path? And the Buddha uses uh, the the um, a, a particular t- a t- a word. And I think it's really helpful to to to, um, to know it because it doesn't translate well into into English. It's kusala and akusala, and usually it's translated as wholesome or unwholesome, skillful or unskillful. Uh, but that kusala and akusala distinction is really important because the nature of uh, the uh, the akusala, because it, it's associated with suffering, disease, uh, uh, and, and so the emotional tone is one of of, uh, uh, you know, of some kind of suffering, unpleasantness. Um, it's uh, uh, it's not steady, it's not still, it's kind of agitated, restless. Um, and uh, um, its uh, uh, its actual content uh, tends to be not uh, imbued with uh, wholesome qualities of generosity and virtue. And, uh, uh, whereas the, the of course the opposite is kusala in that sense of uh, um, and. Yeah, the emotional tone is one of happiness and well-being. Uh, there's a peace and steadiness uh, that's inherent in that. Uh, there's a, a the content tends to be um, a, that which is associated with uh, yeah, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, uh, generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So that that as we uh, are able to apply our Mindfulness and our and our discernment, then we can be um, cultivating those those qualities, that quality of kusala. <coughs> and as we and of course the, the the nature of kusala is that yeah, mindfulness is a is a, a kusala dhamma. It's, it's it's a wholesome dhamma that, that we we cultivate, and and uh, and then it uh, because. 
You think of, well, what are the things that create, that throw up obstacles to the, to the mind? And, and uh, uh, different ways that attachments are formed, and uh, that sense of, of uh, the, the traditional way of uh, how the Buddha, when, when the Buddha pointed to, well, what is attachment? Uh, you know, in the sense of attachment, clinging, uh, things that, that, that create uh, a problem in the mind. And that, that attachment to um, sensual and sense gratification, uh, the attachment to uh, practice and precept in the sense that if I just do this, it'll make me pure. If I can just keep those precepts, you know, it'll make me pure. If I just sit long enough, it'll make me pure. Um, and that's, that's a as an attachment to doesn't mean one doesn't keep precepts or doesn't sit but it's it's, it's, it's and you're trying to hold it in a, realizing that this is a, um, uh, we cultivate skillfulness <coughs> uh, attachment to views and opinions in that sense of you know, holding a, you know, a view an opinion that's it's, it, it's got to be this way this is how it is that's how that person is that's how I am um, and then a attachment to to the uh, uh, the assumption of self, uh, and it's important to make a distinction because sometimes it's the the, the way that people say it's attachment to self, and but that but that's not how the Buddha said it. It's, it's sort of the assumption of self, and because the because the self isn't really solid and concrete anyway, uh, and we assume it is. Um, but and if it were a, an attachment to self, it would actually have to exist to attach to it. It doesn't even exist. So, <laughs> so that <laughs> but there's an assumption there, and it's the assumption that we we. We create an attachment, so that those that throws up obstacles, and, uh, so that when we can we can uh, starting to identify how those obstacles keep manifesting, then we can we can be be, be dropping it. Um, yeah, and then using um, uh, and paying attention to the things around us, where you you, know, you see a. a a small child and, and sort of realize well yeah so often we get stuck in a, in a rigidity and, and assumptions <coughs> and a child is, is, is just not really worried about it uh, they are uh, remember Ajahn Chah sort of fun times so they say so, how do you put it it was so fun uh, you know, you think you know. You know we, we keep growing up, and, and uh, uh, you know, we start off you know, pretty simple, and, and we just keep complicating our lives. You know, we start off as a as a little kid, and you know, a little baby, and you know, you don't really think about very much. Oh, you, you give give them a give a little baby a banana, a little bit of sticky rice, and they're happy. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to give them much. 
you know, and then pretty soon they grow up and they, you know, they want to, they want a car and a motorcycle. So it is recognizing how we keep adding to the things that create, create problems. But that, uh, but I think it's hel- that's where those the structures of the Buddhist teaching I think are really helpful as points of investigation and reference. You know, like, yeah, four noble truths. Uh, these aren't aren't. Uh, uh, just sort of like some doctrinal position you have to swallow uh, or force onto everything, but it's sort of like there's no, it's, a, it's a position of investigation. The, all these different lists of, that, that the Buddha you know, gives you, saying, Ah, oh God, stand this Buddhism, he's got so many lists of things. <laughs> but they're, they're, those lists are, are they're, they're categories of experience that we can investigate. <coughs> and so that we can start to see just like that oh those four different types of attachment you start to well that's a really interesting area of investigation uh, because attachment is always going to attachment clinging it always ends up with a frustration and, 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 and dukkha six sense bases I use those time body mind uh, remember one time uh, a teacher oh he wasn't a teacher then he was, was, a, was a young monk and, and offered uh, one of the things that, that uh, training with Ajahn Chah is that uh, you never really knew how long you were actually going to stay with Ajahn Chah and because uh, uh, he wouldn't let people stay with him too long uh, you'd, you'd stay with him train with him for a few months uh, uh, maybe a bit more, and then send you off to a branch monster, uh, and, and then you had to uh, either fend for yourself or you know rely on the community there uh, in this situation of being a branch monster, and, uh, and you know there's a whole <coughs> array of different uh, communities and teachers that were associated. Sometimes you make a connection, sometimes you don't. Anyway, <coughs> this one <coughs> particular monk was off at a branch monastery. That, uh, <coughs> I mean, one, he was at Cronwell area, so he wasn't in the best space to begin with. Uh, and, uh, and then he didn't feel uh, um, much of a connection with the teacher. <coughs> I didn't feel there was much practice going on, and uh, and Ajahn Chah would oftentimes go and visit the different branch monasteries, and he got there, and uh, and the monk went to uh, <coughs> uh, chat with him, and, and kind of complaining, and, and I'm just you know, having a lot of difficulty. I don't feel I'm supported, or not really. I don't feel like I'm a teacher here. Uh, I'm not really getting getting instruction and guidance, and, and uh, you know, I feel kind of floundering. And Ajahn Chah immediately says, "What do you mean you don't have a teacher? You're here, and you've got six teachers. You don't pay attention to them, and uh, you know, 
know, you're you're missing your opportunity for gro- for growing and learning and practice. And, and uh, the monks are, I don't understand. I don't see that I go to teacher here. They say you've got six teachers here: eye, ears, nose, tongue, body, your mind. These are your six teachers. This you have to learn, learn, learn from. You have to take them as your teachers. So that that. Uh, <coughs> Picking up the, our experience, learning from our experience. Yeah. Well, I have a question about children who are behaving rather poorly and worse. <laughs> um, I work with children with special needs, and um, and it, you brought up, I think it was last night, that you know if if people are coming to ask for help, well, oh well, kind of, you know, let them. <laughs> do their thing. And mm. so I've been thinking about this because it's my job. Right. Yeah, you've got a different job description. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I really do. It's, it's, it's making me think. You know, it's like, because how can I be a benefit? Can, you know, it's like being a recent benefit to those who have trouble with virtue and they're not very wholesome because they've had very difficult conditions in their life. Um, And maybe even it goes further, maybe I'm in the wrong career. I mean, I don't know. If you have any thoughts, I'd be curious. (coughs) Well, I think one of the things is is, uh, um, uh, sometimes it's also how one frames it (coughs) in the sense of recognizing that um, I mean, one, it isn't your isn't your duty or not your job to make them be good kids. <coughs> but that isn't why you took the job on in the first place. Uh, you, you know, the intention, uh, and I think it's important to remind yourself of the intention is that you want to help. Them. You want to be a service. Uh, you want to be able to, uh, you know, give them guidance or options of, of uh, <coughs> something better. And uh, and I think that's the uh, reminding oneself of that and, and clarifying that intention uh, that one trying to uh, make an offering to them in terms of. You know, here's some here's some options. Here's a way. Here are some different ways that because uh, you, what you're doing is then responding to, and this you know it comes back to the Buddha's teaching. You're responding to suffering, you know, to their suffering, <coughs> and then uh, hopefully uh, giving them an opportunity to experience a way of not suffering. Or at least of seeing the suffering that they're creating for themselves and for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's a <coughs> it's sort of it's a you know it's a slightly different way of framing it, but I think it opens up a lot more space, and uh, and it's not a, such a burden. <coughs> Thank you. That really helps. Actually, just subtle. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a slightly different way of, of holding. It. Or how does the Buddha talk about ancestors? 
Um, teachers and our ancestors. Ancestors. Um, well, I think one is is uh, <coughs> and there's a there's a, an acknowledgement of the kind of debt of gratitude that we have to uh, teachers and parents and uh, you know, people who've come before who who have. Uh, made it possible for us to experience what we were experiencing and uh, the uh, that uh, that quality of, of gratitude is a uh, uh, is an important uh, part of, of the uh, uh, one of the mean ways of, of establishing actually establishing wholesome mental states <coughs> <coughs> in the uh, uh, you know, the foundations of what is a a, a basis for the of the rising of whole, uh, of punya I talked about last time that word of, of uh, well being it comes from um, uh, uh, that wholesome recollection of goodness uh, is a, a rec- that that, that uh, acknowledging of, of of the debt of gratitude uh, that one has, and, and, uh, uh, and uh, appreciation, gratitude for for those uh, things from people from the past, circumstances from the past uh, that have made it possible. It's quite a. Uh, there's a. Uh, <coughs> so again, Buddhist culture, it's it's quite it, it's quite strong. Uh, say not so much in uh, you know it's not sort of like in Chinese culture of ancestor worship sort of thing but it's more of a, an acknowledgement of, of uh, uh, yeah, teachers and uh, parents and mentors and examples Healing? Yeah, healing. Oh, well, see, the thing is, I mean, that's, that, yeah, I mean, that, it's not, uh, <coughs> it's actually when one can really understand non-self, that's when you get really healed. Because <laughs> 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 yeah. it's, it's, non-self is not a negation of self. Um, and it's really important to make that distinction, because sometimes not-self is things that, like I was saying, that, that the attachment in the scriptural language that the Buddha uses, uh, say, uh, which is oftentimes translated as attachment to self, the 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 the, the word is atavadupadana. Upadana is is uh, uh, upadana is is attachment, clinging, sustenance. Atta is self, <coughs> and if it were attachment to self, it would be atta upadana. But it's not. It's atavada upadana. Wada is assumption of self, or kind of doctrine of self, or something kind of stuff. So that it's the sense of self is something that is, you know, that we we create in our mind and build up and hold on to it. And then the anatta teaching uh, is. <coughs> 
is a middle way. Uh, uh, and again, you're looking at, because in, in the English language, it's hard to make a distinction, because atnapta, uh, not self, but you think, well, that's a negative, and it is, uh, but it's a negative in a different way, because <coughs> in, in the, in the, uh, uh, say in the scriptural language, so atta is self, atnapta is not self, that's a middle way, Vitrata is a negation of self, annihilating self. So the anatta is sort of saying, oh, it's not self. Like, okay, I have a, I have a pleasant feeling. Well, that, well, it's not self. I can't. If it were self, it should be permanent and solid and stable. But it's not. It's impermanent. Or I, you know, I have a, a, a bad mood. And, it's just a bad mood. It's not self. Uh, I have a, a body. Well, that's yeah, it's, it's not self. Uh, it's not uh, it's not mine because I can't really control it. Uh, I can't make it be what I want. Uh, it's sort of self, but huh? not permanent. Well, I mean, it's self, and only in terms of of a uh, 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 you know, you got to talk about things. So. Uh, it isn't somebody else's either. <laughs> um, so that, uh, you know, in terms of healing, um, it's just sort of the, you know, both on a, on a physical and a, a emotional, mental level, you know, the healing comes, r- comes from the drawing close to truth, the, under, the, the allowing uh, our life to be informed by what is actually true. And of course, that's the Dhamma. Uh, the closer we draw to Dhamma, uh, uh, both as a, say, a teaching, but then also as a natural truth, <coughs> then the, we, we, we draw close to that which is truly a benefit to us. It's healing, settling. Uh, and then, you know, even say somebody like, well, uh, I mean, a good example of, of uh, say, Ajahn Chah, okay, he's, uh, he's this great spiritual master, he's supposed to be enlightened, why did he get sick and was, was bedridden for 10 years at the end of his life? He said, well, uh, the healing isn't necessarily trying to make your body be healed, it's more like I remember one time uh, uh, a uh, <coughs> one of the great sort of meditation masters uh, came and uh, Ajahn Chah he'd been sick and bedridden for maybe about six months maybe not quite a year I don't think quite a year and uh, he uh, um he went into meditation to sort of check out, okay, how's Ajahn Chah doing? What's his mind doing? And, uh, and he came out of meditation and sort of said, Ajahn Chah's fine. <laughs> 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 he said, it's you guys that got to look after yourself. He's not suffering. And I uh, said, that's it. Internally, it's completely bright and pure. 
So that that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes there can be a healing of the body. But not necessarily. Sometimes, you know, the bodies go the way of bodies. Uh, even the Buddha died. And, you know, it's a uh, manifest in different ways in the sense of you know, different, um, say, lifespans, different. Uh, it's like uh, there's just a, a monk that, uh, <coughs> that I know. I think it was last year he passed away. Uh, 116, 117. Mm. Just mm. Uh, incredibly. Uh, and he was hard of hearing, uh, <laughs> and his sight wasn't so good. But yeah, I mean these things. But his mind was incredibly bright, using good. Uh, and he said, well, I ask him how he's doing. He said, oh, it's kind of hopeless. I can't really get around so well anymore. Sixty. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, incredibly, incredible presence, uh, and uh, very, just a pure being. Uh, I remember, uh, I took my mom to pay respects, and he lives in Thailand, and uh, lives in Phuket. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what could I say? My my, my mom's not a, uh, uh, she's not a faith type. <laughs> she's not a devotion. No, she's not. That's the devotion is not the immediate characteristic that you <laughs> think about. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so that uh, uh, you know, we spent time with him, and uh, and at the end, uh, she came up. Uh, uh, he called her up, and he put a, a, a kind of a, a blessing cord uh, on her wrist. And then did a chant, and was there. my mom came back, tears streaming down. Mm-hmm. I said, "What happened?" <laughs> 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 that was really funny. Is that just something? You know, just was very powerful. I said, "Yeah, somebody with a, uh, a pure kind of presence." That's an effect. There's a healing effect on certainly himself and. But then are others. We you, you can't really, you know, different p- people are going to manifest in different ways. Ajahn Chah had a short life, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think um, he was about 62, 63 when he became so ill that he was bedridden. And, and, uh, yes, maybe about 62. I think, I mean, I'm 65 now. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he's. You know, he just accomplished so much in a short period of time, mm-hmm. um, and you know, different people, different people's karma, and you can't really, you can't argue with it. You can't get in the way of it. You can't negotiate too much around that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a question. Um, about, um, well, it, it begins with this um, chant that I learned at Abhayagiri, um, the verses of sharing and aspiration. Mm-hmm. And it refers to, in the beginning, um, the goodness of my practice, my, my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, 
Um, and it goes on to mention um, highest gods and celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth. Okay. It's always appealed to me. <laughs> and I guess because I've been studying at that time mostly Vipassana meditation. Well, mm-hmm. more recently, in the last five years, I've been studying Tibetan practices <coughs> um, and realizing a connection with a particular teacher and acknowledging that there are other levels of being or other what we call <coughs> celestial dimensions. Yeah. Or, and um, up until me and this Tibetan teacher, I didn't really learn much of this in the insight meditation world. And I guess that there's part of it wants to bridge that gap because I feel like that's something I've always needed in my life. So I'm just kind of curious because I I feel like I kind of started my tradition with you by going to Abayagiri, you know, almost 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and studying it mainly at Spirit Rock through Jack Cornfield and Spirit Rock teachers and Mary Orr and so forth. <coughs> but now I feel like I'm uh, really connected with a completely different realm of Buddhism mm-hmm. um, based more on the Tibetan teachings. But I'm just so curious to hear from you in terms of what you see what might be called the great mystery of mm-hmm. practice when certain things happen that are maybe very, um, you know, um, I guess filled with um, synchronicity or serendipity or um, just these coincidences, whether it's meeting a teacher or a person that has to do with your spiritual practice or meeting forces in the natural world when I've been on a solo retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I really feel like there is a power and there is a force at work in my life that's beyond my ability to figure out on a rational level. I guess I'll present it that way. Yeah, yeah. So, um, one teacher I had that was actually, this was years ago in the Sufi tradition, explained it to me as, well, you do the practice, you do you know, your, your spiritual practices, and then there is another force that does take over that cannot be necessarily explained. I can't remember, he used a metaphor. Well, anyway, I just, I'm just curious to hear what you might have to say about that. And I don't know if this is the appropriate place or time to ask this, but it just came up for me, so yeah, I'm yeah, asking yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, yeah, I don't know okay. how. But I don't want to get too woo-woo about okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's mentioned right there to talk about celestial beings, well, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of Death. I mean, yeah, 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 totally. It's like you don't normally hear that yeah, in yeah, yeah. insight meditation retreats. Yeah, you yeah. Know, but it's recited, and I, it's one of my favorite <coughs> prayers. I still recite it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's in, certainly in a uh, um, a traditional uh, Buddhist context. Uh, in a traditional Buddhist world, um, and certainly in the Buddhist teachings itself, uh, then yeah, it's, it's very ordinary. Um, a human being is inhabiting a universe uh, that is not just a material world. Um, yeah, there's animals and <coughs> and lower beings. Uh, there's different kinds of uh, celestial beings uh, on different realms. Uh, some are protective deities. Some are are um, sort of off in their own realm, you know, sort of blissed out somewhere. Um, and there's you know there's, there's just a, a, a you know we're we're living within a a larger context than just human material existence. Uh, 
Yeah, and to me also, I mean, that's, it, it just makes sense. And in, uh, I mean, say like in a, for a Thai Buddhist, um, mostly, uh, then that's just, um, it's just ordinary. Um, the, the, the world is populated by all sorts of different beings. And, uh, <coughs> Well, it's like the, the, the where we established uh, Wat Nana Cha, uh, the international monastery, uh, disciples of Ajahn Cha, uh, is in a cremation ground uh, that is. Um, we've got a lot of street creds from the local population. Uh, because we're actually living and practicing in this place where all these spirits were actually, you know, feared. Uh, and, uh, and I am, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, I don't have any direct experience. Um, I'm really thick uh, when, it, when it comes to... to uh, I don't have any question or any uh, question about it, but uh, doubt about it. But it's just that I don't have direct experience. But I was the abbot. Of, I lived in the mon- monastery off and on for eight, nine years, and then I was the abbot for fifteen years. Uh, so that over time of living in the monastery, even though I couldn't uh, perceive them myself. <coughs> Over time, different people. I got to know where all the, many of the different uh, kind of entities, uh, uh, ghosts, devas, uh, stayed, and what their characteristics were. Because over time, you, people will say they were there, and they, they you know, they, they was difficult for them, or they had this you know, kind of bright experience, and then they describe it. And I would ask what it was there because I was curious. Uh, and so you say, okay, well that person. From uh, talks about the same thing that somebody somebody else experienced some years ago. Never, they come from a different part of the planet, even mm-hmm. different nationality, and but they're seeing the same thing. So, mm-hmm. so okay, mm-hmm. so you said okay. So I got a good sense of where they lived and where they hung out and different beings. So that 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 just you, know, you start forming a, a different perception of the of the. Uh, the world that we live in. And living in Thailand, it's 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 quite ordinary, uh, which is also one of the reasons why Ajahn Chah didn't actually put much emphasis on it, because there tends to be a tremendous amount of superstition. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so then it goes to another extreme, so that uh, where Ajahn Chah doesn't want to feed a superstition and doesn't want it to turn into something kind of magical and distant from the actual teachings. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, because whether there's other beings or whether there's not, the Four Noble Truths still hold. You know, whether there's a, uh, you know, however many realms of existence they are, there's still impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self. So that, that these truths, 
are, are still valid without them. So that Jen Chao would put much emphasis on that. And uh, because it, you know, there would tend to be a lot of superstition. So some of it is balance as well. So, so I think in terms of, like in the class, I think it's helpful to sort of challenge our, especially our materialistic assumptions. Yes. Uh, <coughs> and sort of say, well, there's a lot more going on here than just this material world where, that I'm the center of. <laughs> there, uh, that was a re- real beautiful exchange that I had with Ajahn Chah one time. I mean, I was actually, j- I, I wasn't with him. I, I, I had to say the exchange wasn't with him. I was just there as his kind of attendant looking after him and uh, uh, you know, making sure his water cup was full. You get to hang out and, and just, you know, watch him in, in action. And uh, um, there was a uh, uh, a layman came to the monastery who uh, <coughs> this was at Wapapong, at Jaja's monastery. Uh, came to the monastery and he was a, a regular, a very solid practitioner. Uh, he was a uh, uh, a railroad engineer driving trains, and uh, the end of the rail uh, the rail line is at Ubal, so he would have a break and he would oftentimes come out and visit. And uh, he 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 actually ordained as a monk at when he retired mm-hmm. in Thailand. Or, uh, retirement age is sixty. So as soon as mm-hmm. he retired, and his fa- he had permission from his family already. Uh, so he retired, but at that point he was still working, and uh, and he was uh, well, I had this question about Jen Chai. He said it was he said it was had this experience where I brought a, uh, you know last uh, week or two weeks ago I brought the group up from his hometown, which was about halfway between Ubon and Bangkok, and. Uh, we had this group, and and uh, we got you know, we had a good time. We came back, um, and uh, but it was very embarrassing because uh, there was a, uh, like a, a a spirit entered one of the people, and then <coughs> said they were from Wapapong, uh, came back with us, followed us back, and then actually pointed out some really unskillful, a bit embarrassing actions that the, one of the people had made on this, this retreat, or on this pilgrimage, and, and said, and I just wanted to check, is this, would this, is this guy for real? <laughs> Did this really happen? And, uh, and then, so Ajahn Chah asked, is, what, what, do you, you know, what was his name, what was, what, how did he display himself? And he said, "Oh yeah, he's in, he lives you know, in such and such a place in the in the in the monastery." And then he started talking about a few of the other uh, beings that live there, and then one other being in particular who was kind of the head, uh, <coughs> uh, kind of yeah, the head honcho of the spiritual beings in 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 the, in the monastery. Hmm. And he said, "Yeah, he 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 practiced for a while. He became an anagarika." Uh, you know, he was a, uh, uh, say, a ghost, a spirit, but he took on the Anagarja 
training for a while. And he said, but I, he just rolled. He said it was too tough. So, <laughs> but he's still there, and he's, you know, he's, he's really respectful. And then they started. So he gave the history of what happened, how he ended up there, and, and it was really fascinating like, talking about these different beings that are there, and uh, and then. And then the, the, the person sort of said, well, I have to take my leave, I have to go back to work, the train's heading back to work, so he headed out. And uh, so then he goes back to work, and then, and it was really rare to have just, like, one person at Chai myself. Uh, oftentimes there's a lot of people around at Chai. Uh, and, and it's very rare if I hadn't seen him speak like that, or speak about such things himself. <coughs> And then a group, of, and, and this other person leaves, this group sort of pulls up, uh, <coughs> comes in, uh, pays respects, there's about seven, eight, ten of them, and, and uh, immediately sort of say, oh, you know, Venerable Sir Lumpal, uh, you know, so good to have been chatted, but, 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 you know, is there such things as as ghosts and demons, is there such things as celestial beings? And <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Ajahn Chah looks at them and says, If I told you, would you believe me? Oh, yes, very well, in that case, you're really stupid. <laughs> the Buddha never said to believe in what other people tell you. <laughs> Practice and understand it for yourself. Okay, one more question. Yeah. Um, you were talking last night about the precepts and how foundational virtue and morality are for, <coughs> for the practice. And uh, I'm wondering, as a lay person, if you have suggestions as to how to um, keep the precepts in one's life, how to be mindful of them. Um, and just my own personal background, growing up as a Catholic right. like a man, which I think there's some aversion that because yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I always skip through the chapters on precepts pretty quick. I, I think I follow them. It's just, I don't know, there's a little version there. And yeah. Other yeah, stuff yeah. that attracts me about the. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's really important is that sense of, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, one of the ways there's a very beautiful discourse where the Buddha talks uh, about the. Uh, about the uh, about the five great gifts, mm-hmm. and uh, and same so, and so, you know there's these these great gifts that you can make uh, that you know that give you know, give protection, they give wealth, and weapon, they give warmth, they give, and so of course the great gifts are refraining from taking a life of any living being, taking what's not given. It's a five precepts. Uh, so these are the great gifts because they give security, they give trust, they give, you know, they give a sense of well-being. <coughs> so that that's a that's a whole different way of holding them <coughs> when you realize, oh yeah, this is a way that I can live that's really clear, that's not harming anybody, uh, 
and of course it's a support for oneself because it does uh, give that when we, one does live in a way that one that doesn't have to go into those contortions of remorse and, um, then uh, the mind is the heart's wonderfully clear um, so that viewing the, the, the precepts as, as, as something that is uh, you know one is, is actually offering as a, uh, uh, and, and you know and similar uh, that sense of protection one protecting oneself because when one uh, keeps the precepts then it just naturally pulls oneself back from people and situations that end up being problematic and difficult uh, and uh, so that it's, it's it's a helpful aid to to the practice <coughs> but also that they're they're uh, whether one say is successful in keeping the precepts or one uh, is not successful in keeping the precepts at, you know, at any given at any particular time each is an occasion an opportunity for investigating uh, what is it that you know w- w- what was it that that, that made me you know, feel that you know that you know, either out of lapse of mindfulness or some kind of rationalization, how do they end up uh, not doing it? So then, what's learning about the, the kind of the compulsions of the mind, and then, you know, so like a compelling mood or rational logic that one comes up with at the time uh, that seemed seemed like a good idea at the time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, that was painful. So then. So it's an opportunity for so it's all these different <coughs> different ways of holding it. But the main thing I think is yes, recognizing it. But yeah, it's a it's a gift. It's a gift to oneself, it's a gift to others to live in a real clear with that clear integrity. <coughs> uh, it has a uh, uh, but also that, that and I, that mentioning just before in, in this session of you know attachment also to practices and precepts so that you know if we hold too t- so tightly to you know, the precepts worried about it fearful about it, it it's a source of suffering uh, or we're trying to or the uh, uh, Dan brought it up of, of uh, uh, Dan is used to the, the word the Buddhist jihad he was going through <laughs> his Buddhist jihad phase of you know, trying to get his family on board. <laughs> That's really, yeah, it's, you know, it's just, you know, you're trying to force precepts on other people, uh, or you know, or worrying about it oneself so much that it's, it's just a source of, of suffering. So that these are tools for freeing oneself from suffering, <coughs> and the more clarity and wisdom that we can bring to it the more benefit to ourselves and to others it brings us.